Hi, guys. Welcome back to Tell Me About It. If this is your first time, hi, it's so nice to meet you. Every week, I sit down with an incredible woman and we take a magnifying glass to all the fuck ups, failures, mistakes, missteps, rejections, heartbreaks, mental health crises, body image issues, etc., etc., etc. Essentially, we leave our highlight reels at the door because those are so boring anyway, and we talk about only the things that really make us human. The anxieties, the times that we compare ourselves to other people. Together, we celebrate the obstacles that get us to where we are today. So needless to say, everyone has Omicron COVID right now. It's just running rampant. I mean, don't turn this episode off. I swear to God, this is the last time I'll mention it. I know you probably listened to the podcast to get away from this kind of conversation, but I mean, it's just insane. I don't have it, but I honestly think that that's just a pure reflection of my social life. But, you know, whatever. I like to stay inside. It's been so cold and rainy, and I just haven't been so inspired as far as like resolutions. I'm not a resolution kind of girl. I don't like when people post their highlight reels at the end of the year. I find that to be extremely annoying and exclusive and whatever, kind of the antithesis of this podcast and what I like to see on Instagram. But when I think of resolutions, all it turns into is me shitting on myself. Like, I'm like, okay, Jade, like, smoke less weed, be cleaner, plan a wedding. And then I'm like, okay, wait. Then I'm, like, in a to-do list. All of a sudden, my resolution is to, like, pick up my dry cleaning. So I'm really bad at resolutions. I really don't believe in them. I'm in fucking therapy for an hour and a half every week. Like, I'm doing my best out here, you know? So I just think let's celebrate how far we've come, all the things that we have learned and unlearned in this past year, and just give yourself a break. Shit's hard right now. Shit is really crazy. But I had my first meeting with a wedding planner this morning. I'm not going to give you guys wedding planning details every week. That would be super obnoxious and annoying, but only the things that you might find interesting. This is just the beginning of my experience with wedding planning, and it's just like walking through a haunted house of all of my triggers that I have tried to move past the past five years in therapy. All the people-pleasing and obligation and family trauma and all this nonsense is just like really brought to the surface. And I'm committed. I am committed. You guys, I'm saying it right now on here. You can hold me to it. I'm committed to making this wedding as peaceful and fun of a process as humanly possible. But it is really triggering. And it's just stupid. Like, it's over stupid shit. I mean, what's crazy is that my friend texted me the other day. I don't know whether they want, like, me and Dylan to not get married or something. They texted me and they're like, I upped my therapy to twice a week. Like, me and my spouse-to-be are in shambles. It just gets me nervous. I'm like, can we do this without me losing my mind? That's the goal. That is the goal. We're going to just try peace on earth. But anyway, I was like, I I needed to hire a wedding planner and we're talking about all the things related to our wedding because I thought like, we're not getting married till 2023. Like I have another birthday until then. But anyway, planning comes and finds you even, you cannot hide, you can run, but you cannot hide. So Dylan and I were talking about it the other day and we just have humongous families. So I was like, we don't need bridesmaids and groomsmen. I just find bridesmaids and groomsmen to be so divisive. It's such a line in the sand. And Dylan, I mean, sorry, I'm like totally ratting you out, but it's nice. He was like, you can't take my right to have groomsmen away from me. I I think we're his exact words. He has a flair for the dramatic at times. And I was like, Dylan, it's going to be the fucking Macy's Day Parade down our wedding. It's just at a float, for fuck's sake. It's going to be literally 50 people walking down the aisle. I said, okay, we can have bridesmaids and groomsmen because like we do have the best friends ever and we want to honor them. And I totally get that. But damn, and my therapist, honestly, she said to me, and hopefully you can take this into your life and then we'll segue, but she said to me, 
Jade, remember that compromise means that both people leave something on the table. And I truly, that was honestly news to me because I, I have been functioning from the place of like, compromise equals Jade wins. Like compromise equals like Jade has a conversation with you about how she's right. And that's the compromise. So like this is news to me and like I'm doing my best out here. But it's just funny because when I was talking to our guests today, we were talking about our wedding date. And apparently if you're into astrology, which I am and which I hope you are if you're listening to this episode or I hope you want to be. There's a lot to be said about the date that you choose to get married. And I was watching this reality show where another couple asked an astrologist about their wedding date. And obviously, they couldn't change it. Everything was already locked in. They asked way too late. And the astrologist was like, no, no, no. That's a terrible date. Those people got divorced. Those people got divorced. So, I mean, there's a lot of things that you can say about that. I choose to believe that it was purely the wedding date's fault. So I'm dying to set up a reading with our guest today, Chani Nicholas, who can hopefully tell me if our wedding date is safe. So let's be real. As I mentioned before, the universe has been kicking all of our asses the past two years. Between brutal Mercury retrograde, Saturn returns, which I'm in and I think a lot of you are in, and full moons, I've been asked more than ever about astrology. Blame it on the full moon, blame it on TikTok, but I really feel like people that showed no interest in astrology before, or even just because of the pandemic, now suddenly everyone wants to know about astrology. I think it's just because everyone wants to know, wants to be able to predict the future in some capacity and wants some semblance of control. I love astrology. I'm a Sagittarius with a Capricorn moon and a Cancer rising. Growing up in LA, astrology was about just as common recess conversation as what your mom packed you for lunch. So I've been talking about astrology for what feels like my whole life, but I do understand that it's not something everyone grew up talking about. So recently a friend of mine called me and she was in a tizzy because Mercury was in retrograde and nothing was going right in her life. And she wanted to know more about astrology. And quite frankly, I only know about my own astrological business. So I told her to download the Chani app, which I follow religiously and which I think it, like does the best job of like breaking down astrology in like a very digestible and palatable way. So if you're listening to this episode, I highly recommend pausing it right now, going and running to get your birth certificate if you have it, because you need to know your birth time if you're going to get an accurate reading. Plug it all into the Chani app so you can get a full breakdown of your planets and your stars and your moons and all of that. And then you can follow along in this episode and kind of listen from knowing what your planets and stuff are. So Chani is not just the name of her app. Chani is a Los Angeles-based New York Times bestselling author and astrologer with a community of over 1 million monthly readers. She's been a counseling astrologer for more than 20 years, guiding people to discover and live out their life's purpose through understanding their birth chart. Her app, Chani, offers users a personalized daily understanding of their birth chart. It has nearly a million downloads and counting since its launch in December 2020. I'm only responsible for half of those. She's been featured in the New York Times, LA Times, Rolling Stone, The New Yorker, Vanity Fair, and on Netflix. So needless to say, Chani is the perfect person to do astrology for dummies with. She really broke down astrology in a way I had never heard before. It was simple and direct, two adjectives that are very rarely associated with astrology. Oh, and trust me, I refrain from having her read my chart. I'm not that self-indulgent, I promise. 
This is purely just a breakdown of like the intro to astrology, what you need to know. So you don't need to know anything, but also if you know stuff, there's a lot of other things that you can learn, I promise. She told me what our rising sign really means, what our moon tells you about ourselves, what to do during Mercury retrograde, where exactly to look in your chart to find out about relationships or even divorce, how to unlock your purpose, and you know we got very into my favorite topic, which is the infamous Saturn return. So many of us are in our Saturn return right now, but don't fully understand what it means. And she, oh my God, she explained it in such an incredible way. And I felt so seen. And if you're going through your Saturn return right now, or you know anyone going through their Saturn return, tell them to listen to this episode. Trust me, you'll become an astrology expert after just 50 minutes of listening to this. And I'm so grateful that we had the legend herself to explain it all to us. Here is Channy. Hi, Channy. Hi. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. You are an astrology legend. So you're the perfect person to do this astrology for dummies, as I'm calling it. (laughs) Every time anyone ever asks me about astrology or asks me to explain their chart just because I'm super interested in astrology myself, I obviously can't really explain it, nor do I really know enough about it. And I always tell them to download your app because I find it so easy to understand and digestible and The art is so beautiful and thoughtful, and it makes astrology really approachable for kind of the first time ever. Thank you. But I want to know the woman behind the app. So first of all, I have to just ask you, is it so annoying? Like when you leave your house, do people just ask you about their horoscope and their chart all the time? Like when you go to parties? Not so much. No. I mean, people do. But yeah, I think... I'm I don't necessarily always I know how to not keep myself open to that kind of okay thing. good yeah <laughs> boundaries are essential I feel like yeah I've got work. some pretty good boundaries yeah <laughs> okay good <laughs> so let me know what was your childhood like where did you grow up I grew up in a really small town of 10,000 people in British Columbia Canada so in interior BC mm-hmm it was, you know, a long time ago. I'm really yes. old. So <laughs> you are not. living in interior British Columbia was really remote and really far away from the rest of the world because before the internet, you know, wherever you were, yes. that's all you had access to. But my mom was from New York. So we used to always go to New York City. So I had this like really strange life where like my mom, you know, was born and raised and all my relatives on my mom's side is born and raised in New York. And so we would go there every year. And I had this whole other like big city, you know, family thing. And I, But I lived in this teeny tiny town, literally in the at the base of the Rocky Mountains in Canada. So I had that kind of like double, not really like double life, but my New York family was such a huge part of my identity. But I was living in this tiny town. So I always had like a connection outside um, pre-internet, which was really important for me, I think. And I couldn't wait to leave that town. Yeah. So when did you move to L.A.? I left Canada in 2005. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So how old were you in 2005? I was... Um, I know I'm asking I you was math. Like, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I was in my 30s when I came here. Okay, cool. Well, I would imagine when you were growing up, like, I mean, other than maybe in New York, like, did you have much access to the astrological world? Like, I know you got your first reading at 12, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where where did that happen? And then, like, did that spark your interest? Like, was that the first time you were like, oh, I want to do something in this field? 
Yeah, I, you know, I grew up in a very unconventional town. I grew up in a town of people that, you know, didn't want to be part of regular society and also folks that had were born and raised there. Like my dad was born and raised in this tiny town, but my mom was someone who left the big city so that she could have a kind of very alternative utopian yes. <laughs> existence in this small town. Yeah. And so I lived in a town that was really like half and half. Mm-hmm. And so because it was like hippie heyday central, I was raised with everything. And I, the first yoga class I did, I was 11. And the first time someone looked at my chart, I think I was around eight years old. I didn't really know what they were doing. But the first time I had a full reading, I was 12. So yeah, I think I really grew up with it. And then my dad's third wife, her mom was a Reiki master and her husband read tarot cards to us on Friday nights and she introduced me into astrology and she got us, she got me my first reading and she initiated me into Reiki when I was 14. How lucky. Yeah. I was learning how to read tarot cards when I was. No way. That's so lucky to have as like a, something to hold on to, like in the the very Mm -hmm. tumultuous, rocky times of like your adolescence. Yeah. Yeah. It was really important. Yeah. I grew up in LA. So it's kind of like, like my first reading was very young as well, but that's a little more like that, you know? British Columbia is directly north of LA. So pretty much everything on the West Coast is the same. (laughs) Okay. Wow. That's good to know. (laughs) I might need to flee there soon. So I just want to pick your brain about astrology in general and kind of just go through like because I really am into astrology. But then at the same time, like when people ask me about it, I'm like, oh, shit, I have no idea like what that means or what, you know. So Mm -hmm. can we talk about the basics? Like what are the differences between your sun, your rising slash ascendant and your moon? Yeah. So the ascendant is the most personal part of your chart. If you think about it, where you are on the planet at any time of the day, there will be the sky will look a certain way. Mm -hmm. Right. And so we know how everything else falls in the chart based on the part of the sky that's coming up over the eastern horizon in the place that you are in the moment that you're born. And so up until very recently, really, like up until the last couple hundred years, astrologers would really talk to you about your chart based on your rising sign, not necessarily on your sun sign, because this everyone born in that 30 day span ish has the same sun sign as you. Right. Your sun sign is like what your birth month, right? It's what everyone I think people say zodiac sign. Zodiac. Yes. Okay. Okay, so (laughs) I'm like, what do they say? Um, So there's like, everyone knows what sign the sun was in when they were born. Right. And they say like, that's what you refer to as your quote unquote sign. Yeah. But that's really recent in astrological history because around the time of the printing press, astrologers were like, oh, we could start writing reports for the public and get them interested in astrology. But you, we needed to do it in a way or they needed to do it in a way that could be like mass produced and mass understood. So everyone knows pretty much the day they were born or most people do. And then if you know the day you're born, you can look, you know, and say like, OK, well, the sun is in this sign. So then that becomes your zodiac sign or that becomes right. your star sign or that becomes the sign that you are. Yeah. And that's how we that's how astrologers started talking to the public. So it was a way to like bring it down to a very, very, very baseline approach to say, okay, well, this is how we can talk to you is through this one object that is pretty much 
in this sign from this date to this date year to year. Right. But the ascendant is really the marker of your life because it depends on where you are on the planet and what exact time it is that you're pronounced born. Like if you think of it as the inhale of life, that is your yes to life. Like I will be here. I will live this life. I will do this thing. And that is the marker of everything else in the chart. So your ascendant is your motivation for coming into this world and coming into this body and living out your life's purpose. And it also sets up the entirety of your chart. So, you know, I've been arguing with people for years, not arguing, but people have been arguing with me. Why do you base your readings off of rising signs? And it's like, because that is your chart. That is the you of the entire thing. Is the sun also representative of you? Of course, because it's the sun. So it's the central life force and it's how you shine. And the sun is so central and so is the moon because the moon and the sun are the two luminaries that we have in the sky. They are the two lights that we have. Life comes from the fact that we have a sun and the fact that it brings warmth and light and heat, and that brings life. Yes. So that is our central kind of like, you know, furnace. That's how I shine is through where, what sign my sun is in and the area of life that my sun is in, the area of my chart that my sun is in. But the moon is our secondary light. It is the reflector of the sun's light, and it is the embodiment of light. So it really represents our body the body that we came from, the lineages of bodies that we come from. It represents the home that the soul gets to inhabit during its life here. So the moon becomes about our physical reality. The moon is our like daily life, daily rituals, daily routines, how we care and nurture and feed ourselves on a daily rhythmic level. If you think of the sun as like this big, huge, shiny, bright, heroine, life purpose, like jazzy, like all the sparkly things, you can't do that day to day you know, moment to moment. You do that through having a body, waking up, eating breakfast, figuring out if you're going to work out that day, doing your writing practice, like, you know, feeding the dog, watering the plants, doing all the necessities of life. That's how you live out your life's purpose is through everyday moments. And the moon tells us about that. So in modern astrology, the moon is always emotions and your emotional world. And I won't say that that's not partly it, but it really is the physical manifestation of our soul. So when you're looking at the chart and you're looking at your moon, it's telling you something about your actual body. It's telling you about your physical existence, as does your ascendant, because the ascendant is the moment your spirit is said to come into and fully inhabit the body. And so, and also your sun tells you also about that kind of vitality. So all three become the vital pieces of information for you to understand because not one of them is not more important than the other. They are that kind of mystical triad in a sense. And the planet that rules your ascendant, the planet that rules your rising sign is key to understanding your life's direction. Like what area of life are you aiming towards? What area of life must you go towards? And what is the style within which you must go towards it. So that becomes the fourth kind of pillar that if you understand those things, you can unlock any chart. 
Okay. Wow. Oh my God. I'm already learning so much. I need like a pen and paper. <laughs> so basically, if you don't, if you're like born in December as I am and your sun sign is Sagittarius, and maybe if you don't feel like a Sagittarius or a Taurus or whatever, you don't feel like your sun sign, you should look at your ascendant and your moon. You have to. Yeah. You don't know yourself if you don't. Right. Also, if you're born during the day, mm-hmm. your sun becomes your light leader. But if you're born during the night, your moon is your light leader. Oh, so that's the difference between a day chart and a night chart. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, that's, I mean, the difference is you're born at day or you're born right. at night. Okay. Yeah. But if you're born during the night, then the moon becomes the light in your chart. It, it, it is the one that is responsible for making sure your life purpose gets lived out. So you really want to lean into your moon if you're born before the sun rises or after the sun sets, any time where the sun is not in the sky. But it's not only that. The moon, Venus, and Mars are your team. But if you're born in the day, it's the sun, Jupiter, and Saturn. And then Mercury switches teams, depending on where it is. Okay, wow. That's actually a great breakdown. Okay, so let's go into the chart because... Now I just want to look at my chart, of course, but I will, ref- I will refrain. <laughs> That's the magic of astrology. That's why it's so popular. <laughs> yeah, what exactly. about me? <laughs> it feeds our narcissism. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. But let's just talk about different themes and where to find them in your chart. So like if health issues, for example, will you find that in your moon? Absolutely. Okay. You'll find it in your moon, but it'll also be located. You can also look to the sixth house, Okay. the twelfth house, mm-hmm. the first house, and even the eighth house. Okay. The sixth house is illness, so we, you can always, and so the ruler of the sixth house or the planets that are in the sixth house or a combination of both, depending on what you have, will tell you about illness specifically. The first house is the life force, right? Mm-hmm. So if there's something gnarly happening in the first house, it will impact the life force. Interesting. The moon will always tell you about qualities of the body for sure. But also if something's really impeding the sun, impeding your ability to shine, mm-hmm. that might also show up physically. Okay. So where would something like trauma show up in your chart? And can you kind of like (laughs) predict that? You know, it's really, we have to understand that the chart is a map of the person's life. And so there's definite indicators of trauma. Like if I see Mars in a gnarly position, Mm. if it is impacting the moon in Mm -hmm. a really intense way, or different configurations. Mars and Saturn together are really hard. Mm. And then if you add in the modern planets, like Uranus, it definitely speaks to breaks. Mm. So if you have Uranus configured in an intense or harsh or difficult way to the, or in the fourth house sometimes, or to the moon, like the moon is the planet of consistency and connectivity. The moon bonds us with other people. So if there's something happening with the moon that feels like, oh, that's edgy and not good for a feeling of security like the moon is our sense of security because it's our physical nature our physical body needs to eat and sleep and be housed right like it's not a spirit it's like yes. you know what that's cute but like <laughs> exactly. I need sustenance so if there's something interrupting that sustenance mm-hmm. that's a huge flag and sometimes people with the moon in really difficult t- signs like Scorpio or Capricorn that's a, a tip uh, in yeah, terms I have a moon of moon like, Capricorn <laughs> she says in the most Capricornian yeah, way. Exactly. <laughs> so the re- the reason why the moon is challenged in Capricorn is because it's home. Its home is in Cancer and Capricorn is the opposite sign. So when in a planet is in the sign opposite of its home, it feels like when we're in an environment that's opposite to what we like. 
You're blowing my mind right now. <laughs> planets okay. have homes and hostile environments and places where they are upheld as like famous and and incredible. Yeah. And signs where they have like kind of a little bit of indifference. And so in Capricorn, the moon is struggling to get nourishment and mm. and and sustenance. So there's a feeling of Capricorn is really distant. And so if this is about nourishment, we don't want nourishment to be far away. And we don't want to feel like we aren't worthy of warmth and connection and cuddling and all the things that cancer does. Feeding. But Capricorn's like, got to work, got to be responsible, got to go do the thing. Sorry about it. I'm out. And so if we have a Capricorn moon, then there's always questions of like, okay, well, what was the nourishment style that you mm. received? Mm -hmm. And was it a little distant? Was there a parent that was had a ton of responsibilities or was oh, emotionally available? <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> that is, maybe something like that. Maybe just something, yeah, random like that, for sure. Random, yeah. <laughs> so where in your chart, like, do you look at romantic relationships and, like, sex? Sex and romance is the fifth house. Okay. And by the way, Chani's app really like breaks this all down and will tell you your sixth house is in XYZ. Like she lays it out fully. So open her app yeah. while you're listening to this episode. Okay. <laughs> yeah. The fifth house is pleasure and joy and sex and good times and fun and gambling and children okay. and creative energy. It's like where we have the most amount of pleasure and maybe also get into the most amount of trouble. Yes. The seventh house is where we commit to people. Mm -hmm. Okay. Those don't have to be the same thing. Okay. Fifth house is where we have sex. Mm -hmm. The seventh house is who we're like, okay, I'm signing on the dotted line. We're committed. That can be business. That can be marriage. That can be partnership of any kind. So you could potentially see a divorce in that house. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I want to know how you met your wife and also how mm -hmm. it relates to... You read all the time, like, oh, like, my sign isn't compatible with my boyfriend's sign or my partner's sign or whatever. And it can be yeah. discouraging because you're like, shit, maybe we shouldn't be together. What should you yeah. do if you just meet someone and you want to find out if you're compatible? And did you I think do you that should on your not wife? look on the internet yeah. for <laughs> yes. advice about your life? I yes. think you should <laughs> Go to follow <laughs> your own instinct and get to know a person before you even try to look at their chart, Definitely. especially if you're not an astrologer. Yes. The main thing to know about astrology in terms of compatibility is just going off the sun sign is a surefire way to misinterpret everything and to use astrology to your detriment. Yes. yes so yes. I strongly, strongly discourage thinking about your relationship with someone solely from the lens mm -hmm. of where the sun was when you were born. Like that is so shallow. Yes. It's such a shallow way to use astrology. And I get it because it's the easiest way to use it. But you really want to know, do your Venuses connect or does their Venus connect with your moon? Do they make you feel good? Does their Mercury conjunct with your sun? Can you talk all day? Is their ascendant conjunct your descendant? Is there like a place where your identity and their point of marriage connect in a beautiful way? Do your Mars and Venuses meet? Is there like a sexy, stimulating kind of like vibe to you too? Yeah. Is there something, you know, that's happening with your sun and their moon? Is there mm -hmm. some way that your light is reflected by them or feels or do they support you in some way? And you're looking for the places in the chart that connect. Yeah. You're not looking, you're not basing something 
off of it's like it's like going to a tarot reader uh-huh. and saying, "Okay, pull one card and tell me what it says about my destiny." Right. You're like, "Why would you do yeah. that? That's <laughs> yes. such a bad question. You're setting yourself up for failure and you're setting yourself up to like just have an abysmal reaction cuz what if it's bad? You know, like totally. why would you and it's too big of a question. It's really about how the two charts mm-hmm. are synergistic. Like right. my wife and I have Jupiter at the same degree because we're 12 years apart and that's Jupiter's orbit. And we both have Jupiter in Aries mm-hmm. and Jupiter in Aries. We're going to have Jupiter in Aries in 2022. So everybody with Jupiter in Aries uh, is going to have a really fun Jupiter return. Ooh, okay. But Jupiter in Aries is a signal of entrepreneurship. Oh, it is. Big risk taking. Jupiter does things really big. And Aries is like, let's go first. Let's jump off this cliff. Let's see what happens. I don't know. Let's just try it. Like they want, like Aries is always edging towards the front of the pack and wanting to lead. And so the two of us have, and it's we have Jupiters at the exact same degree. And so when we got together, it was like it blew up our lives because we were like, oh, we can start everything now. Like it was like rocket fuel when we met. And it's not just our Jupiters that meet. There's other points that are much more personal in the chart because Jupiter's not so, so personal. But it is a part of our life that is so obvious because we go big, you know, like with the, with the app, we were like, we don't want a dime from Mm -hmm. anybody. Mm -hmm. This is ours. We will own this. And if it fails, we will own that failure. And if it succeeds, it'll be ours. And we don't do well necessarily (laughs) in like partnerships with other companies. Right. Or, you know, like there is obviously like some, some things that do work well, but for our core thing, it has to be us, and we have to own the full spectrum of the losses and the wins, because that's what makes it exciting for us. Because we need to, we don't consist. We're very consistently hardworking, but we love to launch new things. Yes. Okay. Let's take a quick break, and we'll be back in a minute. Okay. Tell me the truth. How long after you first started dating your wife did you ask her her birth time so you could read her chart? I didn't want it. I didn't want to look at it. Oh, smart. I sent her to my teacher. I was like, you want a reading? Go get it from my teacher. I want. Okay. I don't want to know anything. Wow. She did give me her, her stuff before we started dating, and I yeah. glanced at her chart. And the only thing I thought, I glanced at it for two seconds. The only thing I thought was, oh... Everybody loves you. You know, like everybody thinks yes. you're special. Like, yes. okay, cool, cool. It's not just me. Um, but then I shut it out really yeah. quickly and sent her, sent her to That's somebody smart. Else. Okay, so for everyone listening who wants to, like, Google their compatibility with their new partner, please don't. Just refrain for a little while or <laughs> well, just, go get a reading. I mean, yeah, go get a reading from a yeah. trained astrologer. If you really want to know how your astrology links up or look at the entire chart, like spend time investigating the same that you would spend time learning about them mm-hmm. IRL. Like, yeah. This is not something you can just look up on one, you know, page of a website. Like this is a deep, intricate system. And you will fool yourself into the wrong conclusions if yes. you don't spend the time really investing in what this is. Oh, my God. I love that. So true. Mm-hmm. Okay. So is it true that you shed your 
rising sign or your ascendant I don't know by what 30. That is about. Yeah, why does everyone say that? I don't know. Okay, so you don't shed it ever. I don't know what that means. Like some people say like that's what you show to the outer world and then your moon is more your like personal. That's all wrong. I don't know. Okay. No, I'm like I I feel like it's more your physical body, right? Well, yeah, the ascendant is your physical body. This is the thing. Your chart is your chart for life. Okay. You don't shed it. It does not change. That is your original imprint. There's ways in which we move it forward and we look at timings and everything, but everything has to go back to that original imprint. Yes. We progress things forward. We can look into the future. We can do all that stuff, but it all is in comparison to that first imprint of the sky. That is your amulet that never changes. So I don't know what people are talking about when they say stuff like that. Yeah. And maybe they have really good philosophical reason. I just don't know it. Yeah. So I'm the wrong person to ask. No, you are the exact person to ask. It's not not We're going with you. We're going with you. (laughs) But there's a lot of different astrologies, right? Yeah. And so I don't know what the philosophical background of that is. Mm -hmm. It could be something really gorgeous. It's not my system of astrology. But I'm not here to discount anybody else's. I just know my own. I, well, and this, the ones that I've studied, which is what we call traditional astrology or okay. Hellenistic astrology. Or I also studied like medieval astrology. But it's wow. the ancient, yeah, yeah, yeah. what we call quote unquote Western astrology, although it's not really Western at all. But right. it's like the, those are the origins that I come from. Okay. And so that's what I stick to. So this is just indulgent on my behalf, but my boyfriend and I, or my fiance now, are both born at 7.02 p.m. Would that impact our charts to be similar in any way? Like the time of birth is your... Only if you're born in the same day. Now we're not. In the same place <laughs> in the same year. Okay, it doesn't matter. Great. <laughs> Great. I mean, it's interesting. Yeah, but... it is interesting. A little yeah. fun fact. But okay, let's really dive in to what everyone wants to talk about all the time, especially me, the Saturn return. So I am 27 years old, turning 28, and me and all my friends are losing our fucking minds just being in this weird... Do you know who's having his exact Saturn return right now? Who? Travis Scott. No way. Exact to the degree. Yikes. But of course he is. So Saturn returns are all about taking responsibility for your life, Uh growing the F up, realizing that you are not young and cute forever. Shit. You two get old and you have to deal with the consequences of your choices. Yes. Wow. And that is the key. The more you're like, bring it. I want the consequence. Yeah. The good, the bad, the ugly, all of it. I want to grow up. I want to separate from the pacifiers of my life. I want to see myself as separate from while honoring my lineage and my parents and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But I need to wipe my own ass. <laughs> like yes. I need to like <laughs> come into my own yeah. as an adult. And right. I'm willing to do the work and to deal with everything that that means. But I will not rest where I've been comfortable and what has sheltered me. It is now time to move fully into my sense of being an adult. Mm-hmm. How old is Travis Scott? Is he like in his 20, late 20s? Everybody in their Saturn return is in their late 20s. Okay, so does it really so like start 20, on the eve of your 27th birthday or is it like... That's not how it works. So okay. astrology works in like wherever the planets were when you were born. Okay. And then where they are now. So okay. sometimes that differs from 27 to 28. Or... How do you find out when your Saturn return is? 
so there's two different ways of looking at it. Okay. What how I look at it is is kind of two part. Everyone with Saturn and Aquarius, to me, is having their Saturn return right now. And it started back in March of 2020. Yes. Yes, it did. So it was it happened for a couple of months, then it went away. And then December of 2020, it came back and it's been there. Totally. Then the the specifics of your Saturn return come about when Saturn is exactly at the point of your Saturn in your chart, okay. which is what Travis Scott is experiencing right now. Right. Okay. And oddly, it you know that tragic, tragic, and totally could have been prevented. Yes. Event happened at a place called Astro World. Yes. So the for me as an astrologer, I'm like that's bizarre because that really is astrology's world. Is no, like, someone this needs is, to tell him that <laughs> this is what happens. Yeah. When you don't. Wow. Listen, wow. and you don't take responsibility for the things yes. that are in your orbit. So. That is the like that is the like what we don't want to do in our Saturn return. Right. You do not want to pretend like you don't have power. Right. And like you don't have impact and that you don't have a specific type of responsibility because you do. Right. Don't fight the and current. So in the more well, it's not even the current. It's like don't slant don't run head first into the brick wall. Okay. Yeah, right. <laughs> Yes. No, that's fascinating. So if you're going through your Saturn return in Aquarius, as a lot of us are. Saturn is in Aquarius right now. So in my purview, if you have Saturn in Aquarius in your chart, Mm -hmm. you're in your Saturn return. Mm -hmm. It will become exact the moment Saturn goes over the same degrees as when you were born. Okay. And you might, you can, you know, my app will tell you that. But you might, you could also like ask an astrologer type of thing. Is the end um, like different for everyone? Like, will it end at different times for everyone, or does it end kind of at the same? Depends on how you look at it. Okay. If you look at it that it's only around a couple degrees around where you were born, it ends differently for everybody. Okay. But if you look at it as like Saturn through the whole two and a half years that it's moving through Aquarius, it will end at the same time for everybody. As soon as Saturn moves into Pisces, which is in 2023. Okay, look forward, guys. Everyone that's <laughs> holding on for dear life. But the Saturn return is just one part of Saturn's cycle. Right. Saturn makes major marks in your life every seven years. That's part of uh, how we have that that saying, the seven-year itch. Right. Every seven years, Saturn either makes a square to your own Saturn or an opposition or another square or a return. Fascinating. So at seven years old, at 14 years old... At 21 years old. Oh, my God. All brutal ages for me. Yeah. And at about 28 years old. <laughs> wow. For everybody. Those yeah. are the psychological ages of like, wait a minute. Yeah. And wanting to buck up against authority. But by totally. the time you're in your late 20s, you're like, oh, fuck, I got to be yeah. authority. <laughs> yes. Yes. No, it's so true. Of my so, own life. Yes. So like when you're going through it in Aquarius, I've heard some people say that that's kind of career based is that true or like i don't know what they're talking about okay great saturn is about it can be linked to work okay so i think that's what people are talking about when they say okay so it's not necessarily like listen if you're gonna grow up you gotta work right right so it's all you can't grow up and not do your job yeah you got jobs to do yes that's part of saturn's thing okay so on one level yeah it can always be about that interesting so can you tell me about your saturn return what was that like for you and will we make (sighs) it out alive yeah, of course. <laughs> I mean, some will, some won't. If you look at like Jimi Hendrix and Janis Joplin, 
they peaced out before their Saturn return really got going. Mm-hmm. So you can also look at like Cardi B's in her Saturn return right mm-hmm. now. She has Saturn in Aquarius. Yeah. Um, I think AOC has Saturn in Aquarius, if I'm not mistaken. I might be wrong. Um, so you can look at like how different celebrities are kind of doing it. You know, it really like it. You have to you have to leave the nest yeah. in whatever way you're still tethered to it. Mm. And for most of us, it's just psychologically. Even if you didn't have parents, if you didn't have parents that like really raised you or anything like that, there's still factors in your life that you're, you know, having to part with. So I did one of those kind of dramatic things. So I moved across. I moved to another country. I moved from one coast to the other. I started a whole new life. I really kind of like said goodbye to one version of self got out of a really difficult relationship yes all that stuff so that all is like typical of your saturn return no that's just mine oh just yours okay so can you kind of like like when you do read a chart you can find out what your specific saturn return can entail basically yeah interesting Okay, I'm, depends I gotta, on where it is. Yeah, what houses I, it rules. Uh, we gotta have a second second meeting where we go over my chart because I'm like <laughs> now I like want to look at that. That's the called a reading. Yeah, reading. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay, so I want to ask you about Mercury retrograde because that freaks me out. Obviously, because every time it just makes all my technology break and everything. Tell me about Mercury and retrograde, and what do we do to best handle it? It's mostly out of our control. But, like, yeah, what should we avoid? Yeah. Like, what are you going to do? Because don't people say to avoid, like, signing documents? Every single Mercury retrograde is different. Okay. Okay. Everyone has a different quality. It depends on what else is happening and what that Mercury retrograde is going to, like, do in our chart, but also, like, in the sky. So the last Mercury retrograde was awful. It was Um, really brutal. It was so bad. And for 10 days, it's stationed retrograde in a square to Pluto, which was just ridiculously challenging and then it made a conjunction with mars and it was just like a series of astrologically awful configurations yeah it felt so like we shit. knew it was going to be bad bad mm-hmm. but not every mercury retrograde is that bad so some of them kind of go by and you're like oh that was fine and some of them go by and you're like oh my god yes. that was complete <laughs> chaos so you really have to like listen to the astrology around that time and figure out you know, the astrologers will tell you if it's going to be a bad one or not. But yeah, I don't sign contracts during Mercury retrograde if I can at all help it. But I'm also a human and I live my life and I got to I do what I got to do. But I try not to buy anything or make any major decisions because it always bites me in the ass when I do. Yeah, it's so it's scary. Like during that time, I mean, everything like goes. I don't believe in being scared. Well, shit, how? I think that that verges on... Uh, that that we get into dicey territory when we're scared. Yes. Right? So it's like be mindful. Mm-hmm. This is a pocket of time that is good for this thing and is not good for that thing. And that's how I think we should use astrology. I like that. Mercury retrograde is really good for going back and getting your keys at the restaurant because you left them there. Right. Metaphorically speaking. Yes, yes, yes. So it'll always give you a piece of info that you're like, oh, I didn't know that. Interesting. Now I know this was never working. My keys were always at the restaurant. Yes. I was never going to get in my yes. car, go home. Now I'm annoyed because I got to walk back seven blocks and I'm late for my meeting, but I need my keys. So, you know, and so I always learn some kind of big lesson <laughs> during Mercury retrograde, which, yes, you know, you can look at the calendar and be like, oh, okay, great. What am I going to learn this time? 
Um, but you got to be in the ride. You got to like be down for the whole thing. Yes. You got to love life in all of it. You got to be open. So. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. not be afraid. That's the key. Not, I mean, fear is just a killer. No, it's terrible. So no. what what do you do like on full moons? What are your rituals? And sleep. Sleep a lot? I mean, try like full moons. Would you wash your crystals or anything? Some people like bathe their crystals yeah. in the moonlight. You know, uh, my like altar hygiene, I feel is like we keep a very clean altar mm-hmm. and it's refreshed all the time. I don't have things on it that go bad. The flowers, once they start to wilt, they come off. It gets cleaned every week. It is energetically cleared all the time. So I don't do anything special like that on full moons necessarily. It depends on what's happening, where the full moon is in my chart, Mm. what it means. But generally, I find them physically devastating. So Mm -hmm. I don't like, and they, they are such a huge part of my work that they're more like times of peak work because <laughs> it's my not job. for TMI but I like always seem to get my period during a full moon and yeah, it's like yeah. very bizarre mm. I don't know why yeah but how do you make an altar I want to make an altar like what 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 goes on an altar we tell you how to do it in the app oh you do yeah there's a whole altar suggestions oh hell yeah oh my god this mm-hmm. app gets better and better all <laughs> the time depends on what you want to make an altar for but basically an altar is just a clean and clear space that you put a candle on and you can add anything else that you want to, but it is a space that is devoted to your own devotional practice so that when you see it or sit by it or, or you're near it, you remember that part of yourself. Mm-hmm. And so you're building an energetic relationship with that space in your home. Love that. And you're, you're keeping it clean and clear because you're not wanting like old residue to you know, yes. build up, but you also build things and they have their own vibrancy and they have their own kind of meaning. Yeah. And, you know, each time you do like a ritual, like you put certain things on the altar, or you be specific and intentional about what you're doing there. You're building an energetic memory in there. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. I feel like that's a good New Year's thing to like make an altar for the new year. Yeah. Who is this new year supposed to be particularly like good for? And what do you recommend as far as where do you find out what the year will be like? Well, we have a full reading. So I have like in the app, there will be a 2022 reading for Mm -hmm. your rising sign. And then we also have workbooks that are going to be out on December 15th that you can buy their PDFs. And they're like a hundred, over a hundred pages of information about the astrology, how it's landing, where it's landing for you, what to do, when all the new moons, full moons, eclipses are, when all the Mercury retrogrades are, when the big planetary changes are. So we have those two things that are exactly for that. Oh, that's genius. Okay, so everyone look there. So (laughs) I am planning a wedding right now. And I was wondering, are there like, should I check out the date as far as astrology? Like, I mean, you're asking an astrologer. Right? Yeah. Like so what I am should. I going to say? <laughs> yes. Yeah, of but course I, you should. Okay. I thought you think I was crazy. <laughs> no. Okay. I'm like, I feel like I want to check out the date to make sure it's okay. Astrologers are the most controlling people you could ever come oh, across. Oh, great. Okay, good. Because we are trying to control destiny all the time. Yeah. No, we're trying to be in relationship with the moments that are good and mm-hmm. also signal the moments that aren't great for mm-hmm. certain things. That's my entire job is to do that. Genius. So yeah. what, sometimes when I'm looking at, I mean, let's not mention other apps, but maybe we know which one we're talking about. 
I have nothing to say. Exactly. But (laughs) we'll cut that. But I just wonder, like, when you are, let's say, like, having a really good day and then, like, the app comes through and says, like, don't trust anyone today. Like, what what should you believe? Like, like fate versus free will, kind of. Our app has never put out a notification like that, so I have no comment. Okay, great. Okay, we'll skip that. (laughs) Yes, we'll skip that. Okay. So how do you sniff, uh, kind of in keeping with that tone, how do you sniff out a bad astrologist or like someone that's maybe scamming you or like doesn't know what they're doing? Astrologers are people. Mm -hmm. So if you meet a person Mm -hmm. and they don't seem to know what they're doing, Mm -hmm. I don't care what field they're in, or they seem to need you to believe something about them, no matter what field they're in, I think that you should really listen to your gut. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, so it's just, it's not necessarily like in what the, the content, it's more just like if they're worth their salt, right? I mean, you got to do your research and yes. you have to with everybody that you work with. Anybody you pay money to, you know, you should like investigate them. Yes. If you resonate with what they've put out into the world, then use your common sense. Yeah. No, I agree with that. So let's take a quick break and we will be right back. So let's talk about your book, your incredible book, You Were Born for This. Can you tell us a little bit about what inspired you to write it, what it's about? Yes. So I had been teaching astrology for years online, and I kept teaching these main principles, which are exactly what you and I discussed in the beginning, Mm -hmm. sun, moon, rising, and the planet that rules your ascendant. And I kept teaching it over and over and over and over. And I was like, I wish I had a book to tell people, yes. like, or just like a manual, like a little, like, okay, these are the things. Yeah. And so I wrote that thing that I wish I had had in all of my teaching. And that was how that came about. And you have some personal anecdotes in there as well, right? About your journey? Yeah. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. I share a little bit of my story. Yeah. I love that. So mm-hmm. when did you come out of your Saturn return? Well, everyone comes out of their Saturn return. Around the age of 30. Around the age of 30. Okay. And did you feel like you had landed at that point? No, I don't feel like I had landed, but I I felt like I had chosen myself in a way that declared my own commitment to myself. Mm -hmm. I, I made a huge leap. I had no money. I had no connections. I had no reason to move to L.A., And I just did because that's what I felt like I should do. And so I've always been someone who can take a lot of risks. I don't I'm not risk averse. So and I'm always somebody that can figure out how to support myself, you know, no matter. I think that's a great thing that, you know, my dad probably gave me. Um, But, yeah, I think doing that, choosing to follow my instinct was one of the best gifts I could have given myself in my Saturn return. Wow. And it was rough. I struggled a lot when I got here. Yeah. Um, no, Saturn return is is brutal. And especially like in that way, when you're moving from somewhere you'd never been before and didn't know anyone. Yeah. Yeah. So did you find your footing by 30 in LA or did you still have like a big hill to climb? No, I just moved here. I didn't find my footing for years. Okay. But that was the marker of my Saturn return was moving here. Wow. And then when did you fully like do astrology as your full-time job? You know, I'd been doing astrology since I was, I'd been learning about it since I was 12, but I was doing it in my early 20s and I would kind of come in and out of doing it, like taking clients and seeing people. I found it really overwhelming when I was really young because it was 
it's a lot to give readings. It's a really particular type of muscle you got to build up. And I just didn't have it fully. And it was, you know, it wasn't like, I mean, there was definitely astrology blogs on the internet, but I didn't think that I could do that. That wasn't like a thing that I thought. Not everybody had a blog back then. Right. um, Or a website or whatever. So it wasn't something that I could see doing, but it was always something that I had. But I think I fully committed to it at about uh, 11 years ago. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And then the app, how long did the app take to develop? Was that a oh, hard God. process? Well, it took everything we had and then some. <laughs> I think we're still recovering. I mean, but it shows. It shows. There <laughs> are no, you. there was not a, there's not a detail missed truly uh, in that app. And it's so, it's so brilliant. Thank you. There's so much more that we're bringing. Oh, I'm, I'm so, so Like 2022 is going to be incredible for all the things we get to bring people. This is like bare minimum right now. Okay. The app took like a solid year to put together right but we worked on it for probably two years like the from the beginning of like I think we should do an app to like actually putting it out into the world was about two years but it was a year of like we launched the book and then it was like app and it was a (laughs) lesson let me tell you I don't really recommend launching two things in one year but I tried it you're an overachiever (laughs) yes And here we are. I think the pandemic made it possible. Yeah. I think because my wife and I were locked in the house. Totally. It was just her and I. And like over the course of from August to October, we worked 36 days in a row. Wow. Just the two of us locked in my office and just us writing, editing, going back and forth, plus all the other work that had to get done. But and she runs also a nonprofit so it was just like gru- the most grueling, and we were hard workers, but this was like beyond so anything intense. we'd ever done. Yeah. Oh my god, what do yeah. you say to people that don't believe in, which I hate when people say, but like yeah. don't whatever buy into astrology? Great. Yeah. <laughs> Go fuck yourself. Well, live your life. <laughs> no, I think like live your life. I don't care if you like astrology. Yeah. I, there's so many things to find value in in the world. You don't have to like astrology. I, it's I could care less. Or maybe not. If you don't like it, then it won't help you. Totally. Yeah, it has to speak to you. I don't think we should like the same things. I don't think we should believe in the same things. I don't think we should use all, you know, like the one to each. I don't believe in that. I think it is the most powerful tool I've ever used. But it doesn't mean that it should be that way for everybody. Yeah. I'm so curious. I don't want to live in a world that's just so homogenous. No, nor do I. Yeah. But I would like everyone to buy into astrology because I think it makes it. <laughs> I think it makes nice people. <laughs> What's your rising? I'm so curious. I don't ever talk about it. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Oh my god, that's genius. I'll tell you off this. But okay. I don't. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. Wonderful. So yeah. everyone, download Chani's app. It is so wonderful. Thank you so much for doing this with me. I will let Thanks you for run. Me. This was thank so you. fun. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I like. Thank you. I've been looking forward to this for so long. I need to like re-listen to this and. <laughs> write it all down. So thank you. My pleasure. Okay, I've never said this about an episode before, but I really recommend listening to it again because there's so much in there that I missed the first time around or even just from talking to her. Like I've listened to this episode obviously like three or four times now. And every time there's something new in there that I just didn't realize. I learned more about astrology in this interview than I ever have in any reading I've ever done. 
and I'm excited now to like look at my chart. I need to open the Chani app and look at my chart immediately and see what's going on. It's so accurate. It really is scarily accurate and yeah, I highly recommend you and if you have a partner or a spouse or best friend, compare your charts. It's super interesting. Okay, hope you guys enjoyed that one and I'll see you guys back here next week. Bye.